0: Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strom, So glad to join me today. My guest today is a unique performer in pro wrestling. It's former UFC competitor and current pro wrestling standout, Filthy Tom Lawler. Filthy will be taking on Satoshi Kojima coming up at MLW One Shot coming from Melrose Ballroom in Long Island City, Queens, Thursday, December seventh on Fight Plus. Filthy Tom, in addition to being the first ever New Japan Strong Openweight Champion, is also a former MLW Champion, Opera Cup Champion, Battle Riot winner. I'll be honest, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for wrestlers with fighting backgrounds or amateur wrestling backgrounds, and Filthy Tom fits that bill. So here we go with my interview with Filthy Tom Lawler. So pleased to have me today, the leader of Team Filthy, former MLW champion, inaugural New Japan Strong Openweight Champion. It's Filthy Tom Lawler. Filthy Tom, thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. It's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, most importantly, thanks for having me on during this holiday weekend. You know, everybody's got a lot, a lot of business to attend to, but uh, there's always time to talk pro
0: wrestling, right, Phil? Absolutely. Absolutely. I got my travel coming up too. So um, let, let's begin with where you're at now. You're you're back in MLW as part of the world Titan Federation WTF group. MLW is where you've had a lot of success in your career. You're facing Satoshi Kojima at MLW one shot on uh, Thursday, December 7th, at the Melrose ballroom in Long Island city. What's it like to be back in MLW and what are your thoughts first on the match against Satoshi Kojima?
1: Well, of course I'm, Happy to be back in the ring anytime I can be, uh, whether it's under the MLW banner as I'm representing the real stars of the show, the WTF, uh, or whether it's on you know independent shows across the country, New Japan, whatever it is, I'm always happy to be back in the ring, and especially in a place where I have, like you mentioned, had great success in the past, the first ever Battle Riot champion. I was the Opera Cup champion. I was an MLW world champion. And when you step back inside that ring, uh, all all those things kind of uh, come back and they lend credence to you. And like last month when I made my return and faced Alex Kane, I walk in the ring and I start getting a welcome back chant. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I've been here. Like I've wrestled in this arena since the last time I wrestled for MLW, but the MLW fans, uh, I guess you know, recognize that it was a, I guess not a changing of the guard, but a, a return uh, in a lot of ways, a return home. And uh, like I said, I'm happy to be back.
0: And uh, with Kojima specifically, uh, interestingly, you guys are both former uh, MLW champions too. I believe he was one of the first, if not the first. Um, what is he like to wrestle? I believe you uh, stepped in the ring with him a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, he was the first, um, the first MLW World Champion way back. Gosh, I'd have to go do my research, but maybe like two thousand two, two
0: thousand two, two thousand three, something—the first iteration of the of MLW.
1: Yeah, which is ironically enough, I was in college at the time in Orlando, and I used to watch MLW on the Sunshine Network or wow, okay. Sun Sports or whatever it was, and uh, I don't know how but I never... Actually, you know what? Well, I may not have even been old enough to get into the shows. so I was still 18 years old, so they were running at a nightclub. I'm not sure if I could even get in back then, uh, but I was watching it on TV, and years and years later, I find myself now facing off against a guy who was the first champion, uh, the first man to hold both the IWGP and Triple Crown Championships. Uh, he also has now held the NOAA Championship, so he is a not only is he a decorated competitor, in a lot of people's minds, and in my mind, he is the most decorated competitor, really, if you look at the history of professional wrestling. And um, not to like segue away from our match a little bit, but he was one of the guys who was able to hold all Japan together uh, at a time yeah. when that company was about to go under And that's something that I always, you know, really respected. He took a chance. He stepped away from what was, you know, the industry leader in New Japan, and he bet on himself. And years later, we're talking about this guy as a legend. We're talking about him as one of the all-time greats, the first man to hold both those titles simultaneously. And being able to face him is a huge, huge honor for not only, like, 20 year old Tom Waller who was watching him wrestle then, but the professional competitor that I am now, Satoshi Kojima is still top of the line. He's been on pay per views. Uh, he was on the AEW facing CM Punk months ago. If he tries that that elbow drop off the top to my to my uh, <laughs> genital, I'll be very upset. It's against the rules, but he's still one of the best guys in the world. And I can't wait to get in there with him. We wrestled once before. I walked away the victor, much like I will again at one shot. But there was no fans in the building. It was during the pandemic. It was uh, one of the first defenses I had of that New Japan Strong Openweight Championship that you mentioned earlier. And while it was you know, satisfying to step in the ring and beat him, it's going to be a lot more satisfying to do it in front of fans, to do it in front of people, so that they can see just how much the sport has evolved and how much better it is now than it was back when he was the champ.
0: Stylistically, is he kind of a a guy that you like mixing it up with? Just trying to get to, like, what's it like to actually be in the ring with this guy? Because it just... uh... You know, looking at him, I mean, he still has such a motor in his – I guess he's probably in his early to mid-50s now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's like a number of guys uh like himself and Masato Tanaka yeah. is another one that are from kind of this older generation. I mean, Yuji Nagata, Suzuki. These guys can all, you know, still really go. And Kojima has a kind of more of a, like a varied skill set than those guys. He can – do some moves off the top. He can hit really hard. He's, you know, big, powerful guy. He, you know, gets that lariat going. He comes charging at you and lays into you uh, a lot harder than I think people realize. He's a he's a lot heavier hitter than people give him credit for. And actually, uh, out of all the times, it's tough to think back, like because while things are happening, sometimes you recover quickly uh, after getting hit, but. I remember in that match against Kojima, he hit me with a, a DDT on the apron, and that was one of the the few times the ref came over and asked me, "Hey, are you okay?" I said, ah, "I'm not sure." Wow, I'm not sure, but I was all right, and I kept going. So, know I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to get my payback on this guy, even though I was the winner last time. I haven't forgotten.
0: It's interesting with uh, with Kojima too. You mentioned his uh, his time in All Japan, his time in Noah. Um, there's a lot of different. Uh, Kojima's sort of a forbidden door unto himself. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on all the different crossover things going on? Uh, MLW now has sort of crossover with New Japan and uh, and CMLL. I think it is right now. Yeah, um, New Japan's got a ton of different things all over the place going on. And, you know, you were the first strong openweight champion. You were somebody who was a focal point of that show for, for quite some time. What, you know, does this kind of open doors for somebody like you? Is it just, just, is it fun to have just sort of a different types of matches in your lap at all times?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It keeps me on my toes for sure. Uh, if you watch what's been going on in uh, New Japan, just generally over the past few years, you know, I have a, leader of Team Filthy. I have my own squad of very reputable jocks, I would say, that have my back. Uh, but here at MLW, it's quite a different crew that I'm teamed up with with the WTF. And as a I hate to use the word performer, but as a performer that's kind of something that I enjoy is being able to, you know, dip my toes into different characters so to speak and um you know that's one of the things i enjoy about wrestling for different companies for different promotions is i can try things out maybe they work maybe they don't but you know uh, eventually it all kind of works towards uh, a finished product so um i don't know if i even answered your question or what the question was there
0: it was about the different (laughs) stuff with the new japan and mlw all the different crossovers and stuff like that having different opponents um, I would uh, go ahead
1: I am very much a fan of intermingling of wrestling styles of wrestling companies. Um, there are a lot of matches that will just never come to fruition because guys you know won't cross paths. Uh, maybe their companies won't do business together. and you know we're only on this planet once right? I think if you have a chance to do something to make something happen, that you should, you know, do your best to do that. I understand business is business. We're not going to see, you know, the WWE working with uh, AEW, you know, in any sort of capacity as co-promoters or anything. Um, But there is room, I think, for working together with promotions outside of the home country, especially New Japan. You mentioned has done a good job of not only fostering relationships here in the U.S. with AEW, Impact, MLW, basically they're friends with everybody. Yeah. But you know, there's also relationships they have in England, uh, CMLL. Uh, there's a like an Asian conglomerate of companies that they are now kind of spearheading in the in the Asian market. So um, I think that's all awesome, and I would like to be involved in it as much as possible. Coming from an MMA background, one of the things that appealed to me the most, one of the things I loved was I got to fight in all these different places. I got to fight in the U.S. I got to fight on the East Coast, the West Coast, Canada. You can fight in Japan. I get to fight in Europe. Uh, I get to travel the world because of this. And anytime that the opportunity opens up for somebody to do that in professional wrestling, that's awesome. And I want more of that. So –
0: I'm all for it. I had uh, Rocky Romero on not long ago. Uh, I think it was was before they did the Forbidden Door show uh, with AEW in New Japan. And we were just talking about how that crossover type stuff has always just sort of been built into the DNA of – what New Japan is as a company. Because if you go back into the... I mean, when I started watching wrestling in the 80s, it was uh, it was actually the WWF that was uh, partnered with New Japan uh, back then. So, you know, you got Tiger Mask and the Dynamite Kid at Madison Square Garden dropping in, like, their space aliens from outer space in front yeah. of the crowd that's only seen, like, Ivan Putsky. So, you know, it's Well, just,
1: I mean, not only that,
0: but, like, before that, they're working with martial
1: artists from all over yeah. the world. You know what I mean? They're doing... Mixed rules fights. Uh, so, yeah, definitely like New Japan working with outside companies. I mean, there was even instances in which they would have shows and there would be All Japan and New Japan guys still on the same kind of joint shows, maybe not working together with each other. But you won't see that happen in the U.S. Uh, nowadays, right, one of the hottest things over the past year was because NOAA and New Japan – decided to kind of go against the grain of what they usually do, and they let Okada and Kiyomiya go yeah. after each other in a brawl, and everybody was talking about it afterwards. Um, so I think it, it usually, hopefully, you know, best-case scenario, it ends up being beneficial for both companies, but in the least, it usually ends up being good for the fans, so...
0: Yeah, to me, I, I always just say that uh, each company's imagination is the only thing that's sort of limiting them from from creating. I I I I would personally like to, in my lifetime, see the time where WWE is actually crossing over and doing all of that stuff too. Because why not? Like, what 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 does it hurt you? You know, it's business, so whatever. But you know, that's uh, that's just kind of what I think about it. Um, I've had the pleasure of seeing you live in both MLW at the Melrose and also the New Japan shows uh, last year at the Palladium in uh, in Times Square the the Halloween uh, weekend shows. <laughs> to, um,
1: to Phil, let's... sorry to uh, cut you off there, but I'm also sorry that I did that to your eyes last year that you had to watch me wrestle in a nun outfit. <laughs>
0: But it, it was my birthday that weekend too. So that was a good that was a good uh, couple of shows to go to. I, I enjoyed those. Um you're a unique talent. You're you're my kind of wrestler, honestly. I like always liked sort of the the fighter you know, amateur wrestler types. Um you stepped into MLW pretty much as soon as Court Bauer brought the brought co- brought the company back in 2017, and you were a regular pretty much until you left. What do you like about the matches and the stories that you're able to tell within that uh, company?
1: The th- the thing about the matches is this is an easy question because we were just talking about this, right? There's a number of different styles that you see in MLW. I could I could name like the roster, and there's going to be well, there may be similarities between some of the guys, they're far from carbon copies of one another. You're not going to see the same style of wrestling from one guy to another. Even let's use the second gear crew, for example, right? Mance Warner, Matt Justice, Manders, all tough guys. You know what I mean? Hard-working, blue-collar-looking guys, but they don't wrestle alike whatsoever. You know what I mean? Right. Ants has the old Southern style. He's got a lot of dirty tricks. Matt justice is insane. You know, he's a, like ECW incarnate here in 2023. And then, you know, Manders is a cowboy powerhouse. So while you think that those three guys would have, you know, something in common, they really wrestle almost completely differently. Look at the WTF, Matt Cardona, myself, you know, uh, we couldn't be further further <laughs> apart, you know. Uh, I guess we both like toys uh, and and working out, but that might be like the only two things we have in common. Um, Fatu, you know, there's just a number of talents there. And then you add in the guys from CMLL, you add in the other guys coming uh, representing New Japan. And it's kind of always been that way. It's not just now, but even in the past, Low key was around. That was a great guy for me to wrestle. He has a style like no one else. One of the best wrestlers I've ever been in there with. La Park, Hammerstone, Fatu was there then. You know, so there's all these different kinds of styles that you can get in MLW, and you don't. Nowadays, it's maybe it's a little bit different, but for a long time you weren't getting that. You were getting the same uh, homogenized product over and over. And I'll give, you know, WWE, AEW a lot of credit because now you do get, you know, a a bigger variety on the shows. But, um, you know, I think if you're looking for like bang for your buck variety, you're not going to get much more, you know, like a, a bigger spectrum than you can find in MLW, really.
0: Yeah, and they've always kind of marketed themselves on that style kind uh, of thing. Hybrid. It, 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 it hybrid, right. hybrid style, yeah. Um, your time in New Japan Strong led to you competing in the G1. Uh, what is it like to compete in the G1, and what are the ups and downs of being in that?
1: The biggest downside is that uh, I didn't make it back this year, to be honest. I have nothing bad I can say about the G one, except for the fact, I mean, it beats you up. I don't think anybody can watch that and not, you know, realize that, but I had the absolute time of my life for 40 days being on a bus surrounded by nothing but wrestling, you know, in in a, in a foreign land. And I would, I would go back and relive those 40 days of my life, you know, every day, if I could, uh, Like I said, my biggest, the biggest regret, the biggest downside from the G1 is that I loved it so much. Now they make it back this year that it, you know, upset me, ruined me mentally for a while as far as this wrestling stuff goes. So, um, hopefully, you know, I get another shot there. Maybe I don't, maybe, maybe I'll have to, you know, try to win another tournament in a different company across the world. I don't know, but, uh, it's it's the best <laughs> i will
0: you know, i will say you are somebody I, that i do root for though just cuz like like i said the style works for me you know your your personality and your uh you know your talking and stuff like that to me it's you know you're exactly the type of guy that i want to get on my tv more often you know so, you know, so if you, if you end up at the g1 again i'm all for it do you, yeah you, w- i would love honestly
1: too like i never got a return match for the Japan strong openweight title. I never got a, a, a shot at that belt again after holding it for over a year after being the first champion. And now that belt's going to be swallowed up into some bizarre triple crown. So I'll yeah. probably never get another shot at it. Like, hey, I'm free. I'm, I'm free on Wednesdays. You know what I mean? You could put me in that Continental Classic, and I'll walk away with that belt again.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's sort of um, sort of being marketed as kind of a G1 type thing, too. How important do you think it is for wrestlers to tour internationally, especially today? Is it kind of, you know, are, are you picking up things stylistically in the different places that you go? What, what, what do you kind of want to accomplish when you do, like, international tours, be it Japan, England, or wherever else?
1: Yeah, you definitely have to uh, tailor your work to the different crowds. You have to do that, you know, domestically as well. But there is a learning curve because, uh, culture doesn't always like translate across borders. What works in one country, you know, may not work in another slang slang terms, almost always don't, you know, translate. So there's a lot of stuff you either have to add in or cut out, um, just based on the reaction to the people in, in a different place, you know? Um, it was bizarre because I was there. The G1 was still during like the semi pandemic. So it was a clap crowds. Right. And then I, when I went back, there was like some cheering a couple of the times. And then, you know, you go back now and it's, you can do whatever you want. You yeah. know what I mean? So I've seen over the past year, uh, the change in those crowds. And like you have to wrestle differently, completely differently in those two scenarios as well. So I never, I don't think I ever even really learned what I should be doing, you know, in front of that Japanese crowd, because um, up until January 4th of this year, I don't think I was getting the authentic experience or I'm sorry, uh, July 4th right of this year. Uh, I don't think I was getting the authentic experience. So I need to go back. I need to get more, uh, time under my belt, you know, with that fan base. So I can really, you know, really dig in and show them how good of a wrestler I am.
0: Very cool. So I was wondering as somebody who's been a subscriber for a while, how on earth did you end up connecting for hosting shows at F4Wonline.com? I really enjoyed listening to you and Brian together when I have a chance to, what, 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 is, what is that experience like for you?
1: I was, uh, I used to bootleg the shows for a while so maybe i i wasn't like you know i wasn't a listener i would say i was familiar of course with the observer you can't be in the wrestling and mma circles and not know what it is and and kind of the power that it holds in the industry in a lot of ways um but i wasn't a subscriber i don't know how but uh there's there's uh it may be shut down. I may get them shut down. But there's some torrent sites out there that have these MP3s on them. And I started listening to the Wrestling Observer a little bit. And then I think I probably tweeted at Brian or Dave a few times. And they tweeted back. And after a, a UFC show, they asked me if I wanted to come on. And I, I did a couple shots uh, you know, coming on right after UFC. Like Usually I'd come on at like 2 or 3 in the morning. That's no joke. That's when they used to record. I think they've kind of moved it up a little bit, but I would, it was the worst waiting up all night to do those shows for a 10 minute guest spot. Um, but once uh you were Todd Martin. Yeah. Once his show went away, I think there was more money in the bank for them to spread around. And at the, about the same time, um, I attended WrestleMania at, in Santa Clara, California, which was a great show. And I went to the ROH Super Show, or maybe it was a WrestleCon Super Show before that. And uh, Craig Proper recognized mm-hmm. me. He said, hey, come over here. I want you to meet my son, which actually ended up happening to be Brian, who was standing <laughs> there. And uh, we took a photo, and that was, that was it. That was it. That was that was history. It's all Craig's fault. Blame him.
0: Very good. Would you like to keep doing that kind of stuff? You seem like you have the personality for com- commentary, whether it's MMA or pro wrestling. Is that something you have you at least uh, dabbled in, or, or, or would consider trying down the line?
1: Yeah, I've uh, unfortunately the pandemic kind of put a little bit of a kibosh on it, but I was doing commentary consistently for CES MMA, mm-hmm. which is uh, one of the top promotions up in the northeast and it's a new england company uh based out of rhode island but they put i don't even know probably 20 guys into the ufc uh from this regional promotion so i was i was loving doing the work there but the the pandemic kind of you know took that down um i was also hoping and maybe this will happen in the future but i think i should have at least gotten a. One on one contest with Walker Stewart to decide who was going to get this New Japan commentary gig. I would I would have preferred, you know, instead of them just hiring him because he's got a great voice, make him do a shoot fight against me. You know, <laughs> maybe a, a an academic decathlon. We'll see if he knows more wrestling than I do. Uh, but yeah, I love I love to talk, so. Put me yeah. on the mic anytime.
0: You know, for me, it's just get you in the ring, get you in the mic, whichever which way we're going to get you out there. Because it, it seems like you do study. Like I mean, you can't help but be on the things that you're on and not know what you're talking about. So,
1: yeah, I was. Uh, uh, I I don't talk about it as much as I should, but I absolutely love MMA. And one thing that I think sucks is MMA coverage. I just think it's, like, non-engaging. There's so many great storylines and uh, personal issues, and there's just so much drama in real life that happens in mixed martial arts that these guys should be, like, these are real-life pro-wrestling angles playing out in front of us, and that sort of stuff really isn't brought to the forefront, I don't think, or at least not. Um, not at least for, like, undercard fighters. You know, I, as a perennial uh, prelim main eventer, I always have a a soft spot for the guys who, you know, have a good story that maybe the fans aren't going to hear about uh, because they're not a world champion, because they're not getting tons of interview time. Uh, And hopefully in the future, if I can do, like, anything – in the world of broadcasting or journalism, it's to help those guys, you know, really that's kind of my goal.
0: And and you, and you know, a lot of your presence on social media too is, is, is kind of sticking up for fighters and uh, making sure they get protected and stuff like that. I, I, you know, you were very vocal about the USADA no longer doing the drug testing for UFC and also, you know, I saw you yeah, talking about it, a little but bit but about, go ahead.
1: It doesn't mean that, that whatever they're doing now is going to be a better system. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, after dealing with USADA and Jeff Novitsky, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust putting him in charge of uh, a drug testing program. You know what I mean? Just based on some of the stuff, like some advice he gave me nonchalantly, which was completely wrong. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust any of these guys. I wouldn't trust an outside source. I wouldn't trust, especially not an inside source with this sort of stuff. So while, you know, I may be anti-USADA, I'm also, you know, like anti-whatever the UFC's doing for drug testing, too,
0: I'm sure. Yeah, pro-common pro sense, but it, you also uh, – I saw you mentioning about the PFL-Bellator deal, too. you feel that that's a, a, a positive now, at least for competition within the, the sport?
1: I think so, because I think without the PFL stepping in, and they kind of talked about this uh, – Don Davis talked about this yesterday – I think the other alternative is maybe that Bellator just no longer exists at all, you know, and it kind of floods the market with a ton of free agents, which you would think could be good, but also could be really, really bad for the fighters. So after hearing, uh, listening to what uh, PFL management said that they, you know, plan their plans to bring over 250 fighters now and pay these guys. Well, I don't, I can't see too big of a downside with that. I'm sure there's guys under PFL contracts who are going to want out of that, who are not going to want to fight for the PFL, who are not going to want to fight, I'm sorry, for for Bellator. Um, You know, maybe some of these guys will want to go to Ryzen instead. Uh, But I think this is only a positive for mixed martial arts. And, like, this is also going to be compounded with this big uh court case mm-hmm. that's going on. You know, this big lawsuit uh by Robert Maysay and uh the MMA Fighters Association that's been going on for a few years. There's a lot of movement going on in the MMA world. And uh it's exciting, not only as like a fan, but also as somebody who's been on the inside and uh, you know, making a lump sum at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> but all said and done. So uh like I said I love I love mixed martial arts and I wish it got more coverage so
0: yeah and similarly a lot of moves happening in pro wrestling all over the place too but probably not enough time to cover all of that uh in a short uh, I mean, podcast just, format.
1: should we just be combining them really at this point I mean the UFC and WWE have combined into one company are they really that separate of you know entities that we should be looking at I mean I mean there are differences sure
0: but yeah. You know,
1: we're all selling conflict at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and I will say that under the ring is associated with wrestling junkie, which is an offshoot of MMA junkie. So
1: <laughs> check them out for your for your news, not me. I'll but
0: uh, no, it's a good it's a good situation, and uh, I'm glad that we're doing it. But uh, we're going to move on to something we call the three count. Now it's going to be three quick questions and your answers. Uh, Number one, if you had to show someone three filthy pro wrestling matches, what would you show them and why?
1: Uh, I would show them my match against Zack Sabre at the Capital Collision show uh, from this year. As far as professional, like no BS pro wrestling, guys trying to win using holds and submissions and strikes, uh, I think that may be one of the top matches that I've had in my career. A few months ago, I had a completely different style of match against Jake Something, Speedball Mike Bailey, and the recently signed to a uh, developmental deal, Jay Malachi, mm. at the Deadlock Pro Wrestling event. Uh, it was a four-way for the Carolina Classic Tournament Finals, and it's about a 30-minute match. Non-stop action. Uh, A lot of times, you know, sometimes I work at a little slower pace. uh, But this one is, you know, a a stark contrast from that. So one of the most action-packed matches I've ever been in. And, uh, I mean, honestly, like all three of those other guys are awesome. You know, Jake Something's phenomenal. Speedball, I watch him all the time. As far as my money goes, one of the top five – pro wrestlers in the world. And I'm feeling Jay Balakai is going to be a guy that a lot of people hear about uh, in the future. And the last one, I'll say myself versus Toru Yano from the G1 Climax last year. Where else are you going to see two Sister Act DVDs in one match? Where else are you going to see a wig get snatched off somebody's head leading to a roll-up spot it was just uh something i looked forward to for a long time unfortunately my big plan was foiled by the workers at the uh at the clothing store i tried to steal a mannequin hand uh because i was gonna pull a, a fast one on them and get them with a fake hand but uh they caught me so Unfortunately, it took me a little bit more time to beat him than I wanted to,
0: but those would be the three. All right. Very good. Uh, second question. What's the best and worst part about living in the ultimate fighter house? Free food. 16 dudes. Those are the best and the worst. There, there you go. And then the, uh, the last question um, – I was going to ask if you were a Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame voter and if there was a candidate you were pushing for who's not in and and how fun is it to kind of research some of that stuff?
1: Oh, I am 100% of the mindset that Nikki Bella should be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. I think the long-lasting impact that she had from Total Divas, uh, from Total Bellas, yeah. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. You know what I mean? Um, she was the face of that, I, I wouldn't say division, but really of woman in the company for a long time and brought in so many viewers outside of the wrestling world. I can't tell you how many girls that I tried to date in the past that watched that show and didn't watch wrestling. So uh, I think that the Bella Twins, if not especially Nikki Bella, should be in the Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah, she kind of was the bridge there to to where they ended up getting with what they ended up doing with the women's revolution.
1: It's it's like she wasn't presented. Sure, she was obviously a very attractive woman, but she was presented like she was a hard-hitting, tough female. You know what I mean? And you didn't really have that. A lot of times uh think one
0: of the, era so i think one of the best questions i ever got at work was from a co-worker who just out of the blue one day you don't find pro wrestling people all the time in in work situations and i just got asked hey phil is aj lee good and i said <laughs> wait what like why are you asking me this he's like well He's like, I know you watch wrestling. He's like, but my he's like, my wife watches Total Divas, and they're always talking about J Lee, but they never actually show her because she's not on the show. So I uh, wanted to know if she was actually any good, and I'm like, wow, this has an audience. I didn't know it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I, I somebody I remember watching. I watched so many of those episodes, but uh, Natalia was such a character yeah. on those, and she doesn't get credit for for the work that she did. Like she was like a utility player. It's like you need somebody to make some stupid comments. Go to her. You need somebody to cry, you go to her. You need somebody to beat somebody up, you go to her. So,
0: <laughs> but I think you're on the money with what with the point that you make though, too, because the, what the ultimate fighter was for where UFC ended up going, Total Divas kind of led to a similar situation for what the WWE's women's division ultimately settled into becoming.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I never, never thought about those, uh, those two parallels, right? But, yeah, you make a really good point because for sure I am somewhat – I mean I was watching MMA uh, since UFC 2, but I'm somewhat of a product of that You know, first couple seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. I, I made it onto The Ultimate Fighter Season 8. I think that was like four – maybe three or four years after uh, the show began because they were doing two seasons a year. Um, but I was one of those guys who was like, I'm working at the bar – and I'm not even watching what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm staring at the TV, you know, for two hours watching the the first run episode and then the replay from last week over and over. Uh, and there's – I'm sure, like, my generation, uh, there are tons and tons of guys like me who watched it, kept up with it. Maybe didn't get – maybe not get into it as deep as I did, but um, – You know, definitely a generation of fans that were built from that show. You know, much like I think we're getting girls now, females now wrestling who were brought up through that total Bellas, that total Divas kind of generation, the Nikki Bella era.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, great answers. Uh, again, we'll push it uh, for MLW One Shot on uh, Fight Plus. Tom Filthy Lawler versus Satoshi Kojima Thursday, December 7th at the Melrose Ballroom in Long Island City, Queens. I will be there. Uh, and uh, really looking forward to it. Tom, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Really, really enjoyed this.
1: Yeah, no, thanks. Glad we could do it, Phil. Sorry to – it's a, got a chaotic week a little bit. I'm here at the Great Wolf Lodge. You ever been to one of these places?
0: I don't think so. It's snowing where I am. (laughs) No,
1: this is a, uh, it's a, it's an indoor kids water park.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah. I've
1: already had to push some, push some parents out of the way on the slide and stuff. So
0: it might be a long week for me. Well, uh, best of luck for everything you're doing and uh, really, really digging it. So uh, thanks. Thanks again.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Please say, uh, come say hi to me in New York.
0: Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Filthy Tom Lawler for joining me today. I also want to thank Court Bauer and Saint Laurent from MLW for their assistance with this. Follow me on Twitter and Under the Ring for the latest guest announcements, and have a great week, everyone.